So there is a central um, story in the Old Testament that all Hebraic faith points to, um, that all the, the prophets point to. It's the thing um, that the, the, the Orthodox Jewish community is like, never forget, never forget, never forget. Um, there's this one big story that happens that that is, is like central to the Jewish faith and the Jewish experience. And the Jewish experience is important to us um, because um, the Bible is composed by all Jewish people. And furthermore, Jesus, he was Jewish. And so for us to, um, you, you know, kind of grapple with and pick apart um, a lot of the truths and the expressions that, that are in the Bible that we go into and say, God, speak to us. It's, it's to also understand the authorship, to understand the history, um, to understand the placement that these things came from. Um, and this central story story in the Old Testament that kind of holds everything together. It's a story that everything is pointing to, and then furthermore, it's the story that, that everything is pointing back to. It's, it's the story of the Exodus. It's the Exodus story, right? So, so everything is pointing up to it, and then everything is pointing back to it. And so, uh, so in the Exodus story, brief brief, you know, summary, you know, the, the Hebrew people, they are, they are slaves, that they are um, held captive in Egypt, and they're there for a really long time, for 400 years. They're in Egypt, they're in slavery for 400 years, and then God uh, calls this prophet, his name is Moses, and he's like, the first of his kind. And so, so when, when God calls Moses, he calls him on this mountain, Mount Sinai, and, and, he, and, and Moses has this God encounter on the top of this mountain, and there's a burning bush, and it says that the face of Moses changed or transformed or shone, and like this huge thing happened up there that, um, that, that we have a glimpse kind of into it, but it's, it's one of those stories that whenever Moses encounters God, his whole, his whole figure shifts and changed, and that when he came down, people saw that he had experienced God. How cool would that be? Um, so so that then he has this calling to go bring the people out of slavery, and so he goes, and, and to make a super long story short, um, the the people that are in slavery are set free. Um, they are set free to go wherever God wants them to go. And, and where does God bring them? He brings them out into the wilderness, right? The wilderness. He doesn't take them directly to the promised land. He takes them to the wilderness. And the wilderness is called that because you can't survive in it. It's a, a wild place, right? It's a wild place where you can't survive. There's no food. There's no water. There's no direction. It's hot and it's gross. You don't want to be there. And that's where God takes them forever. For the people he brought out of slavery, they died out there. Um, but every day in the wilderness, they relied on God. If God didn't show up, they didn't have any food. If God didn't show up, they didn't have any water. If God didn't show up, they didn't have any direction. But the thing is, God always showed up. So they always had food, they always had water, and they always had direction. In the wilderness, in the wild places, 
the, the Israelite people encountered God firsthand, like firsthand. And so one of the biggest stories of the Exodus story for the Hebrew people is not the story of freedom. It was the, the story of where God and I found each other. You know, <laughs> big stuff, right? And, and then, then through a series of events, 40 years, whole generation dies. No one who is brought out of slavery, you know? And, and then the generation after enters into this promised place. That, that God is this God who honors his promise and that God is the God who saves the people that are in slavery and bondage, more like the people that are owned, um, and for people that are owned, God will buy you. It's like this, this theme. And, and if, if you are people in the, 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 the desert, you don't have food, you don't have water, there's good news for you because God provides in the wilderness always. And then God is the God of promise. And there's a central theme in, in the Old Testament that for the Hebrew people, they're always pointing back to, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. In fact, they don't say don't forget. The, the term that they say is teshuva. Uh, teshuva, what it, it, it actually means is is Remember, remember, remember. It also means repent. It's the same word. Repent and remember are the same word. And oftentimes when you encounter the prophets, you know, often saying, shuva, 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 they're saying, remember what God did. Remember what God did. Remember the God who brought you out of Egypt. How many times have we seen this in, in, in the Old Testament? Remember the God who brought you out of Egypt. Remember the God who set you free. Remember the God. Remember the God. Remember the God. Remember the God. Repent, repent. Turn from your ways. Remember, 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 remember. And it's always pointing back to this God who pulls people out who are owned, um, who pulls people out that are in slavery. It is a God who sustains people who are in the desert who should not be sustained. And furthermore, a God who honors promises and keeps his promises. And, and so there's this prophet, first of all, Moses, who kind of, who kind of brought this, who pulled the people out. And, and then he brought them to be introduced to God. God and in the story and, and and then God shows up and they're terrified. Whoa! And and Moses brings down the Torah and says, "This is God's law. As long as you obey His law, you will be His people." Awesome. Um, but if you do not, he'll spit you out of your mouth, that kind of thing. And so anyway, time passes between the time of the promised land, the time of the prophet Moses, and that then the other prophets come, come into play. The famous prophets, the prophets Jeremiah, Elisha, Elijah, um, the pro prophets you know, Ezekiel. But one of the most famous prophets um, happened during the time of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And this was like at the bottom of the barrel of the Hebrew experience. Like these people were like super evil. And so Elijah came and said, it's time to change. You have to change. And King Ahab, he literally says, okay, so we have heard it said that if you do not follow the Torah, if you do not follow the law, this is what the prophet Moses said, that there will be a famine. And then he says, but, but our people have served the other gods and we have worshiped the other gods for quite a long time. And there has not been a thing that has happened. So... 
And so it's like this, this spitting in the face of God and fitting, spitting in the face of his prophet. And so at this point, the famous prophet like story that happens on top of Mount Carmel happens. I'm giving a brief history. So he says, I want to show you who, who the true God truly is. And he climbs up on this mountain top and he prays for God to show up. And God shows up in the form of fire. It's a big deal. It happens on a mountaintop. And in the two stories, the story of Elijah and the story of Moses, they hold hands in this idea that that um, a bunch of central ideas in the Bible happen whenever the, the people of God go up on a mountain and pray. Um, this happens throughout the whole Old Testament. Whenever I want to experience God, I will go to this mountain and pray. I want to pray. I will go up high in a high places. Whatever that is, I don't know, but it happens a ton in the Old Testament. Um, that there are so many other prophets that talk about going up to on top of a mountain. On top of this mountain, I experienced God. I experienced God in this, this hole in the mountaintop. There's this idea in, in our culture today of a mountaintop experience. It comes from those ideas and those concepts because it seems like whenever you get to a top of a mountain in the Old Testament, something huge is about to happen. Something big is going to happen. The mountaintop experience is a common phrase in our vocabulary to kind of symbolize this, the highest of highs, the biggest of experiences. Experiences that are central to us as being human. And there's something that happened um, about, about five, five summers ago on top, top of a mountain. So, so I climbed this huge mountain and, and I'm going for elk. I'm trying to find a whole bunch of elk, but, but we don't find totally any at all. And we actually have been up there for four or five days days when we're trying to find elk and it's hot and, and, and it's just beautiful. It is like the most gorgeous thing that could have you know, ever happened. But it got hot. And so we're at this top of the mountain and I say, I think it's time to fall asleep, right? I am tired. Let's just go to sleep here. And my friend said, okay, that sounds good. And we take off our backpacks and we, we put our archery equipment down over here, and then we go over here and we fall asleep. And it is like the most comfortable thing. Have you ever fallen asleep on top of a mountain? It's insane. And so it is like the most comfortable. The temperature becomes perfect. There's a breeze that's blowing over the top, and then I fall asleep. And then as I'm sleeping, I hear the sound of thunder, right? And so I'm thinking, yes, it's going to pour and thunderstorm, and I'm on top of a mountain, and I'm sleeping. And then the thing is, is that as I'm sleeping, and this, this experience is happening, it doesn't get hotter, or it doesn't get any colder, it actually gets hotter, and the sun becomes, becomes out a lot more. I'm like, but I just heard thunder, it's about to storm, and then the thunder is getting closer and closer, and then I open my eyes, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a herd of elk. I mean, like, like not, like, oh, there's a herd of elk. It was like, holy crap, there's a herd of elk, and like, we are on the 
here on the top of this mountain, we're sleeping on our backs, and five feet, like, from us, this herd of elk, like, tramples bus. And in the moment, I thought, I'm going to get killed being trampled by elk. That isn't a, that'd be awesome, you know? And so part of me was like, thank you, God. You know, like, that would be an awesome, I don't want to die being old, you know? I want to go out and that hurt it up. And so, and this whole, like, like, the dust is blowing, and I am, like, cracking up. Like, this is insane, you know? Like, best experience of my life happening. And then this herd, they, they're, like, right there. And they pause, and they look around, and then they were gone. And it was like, what just happened? And, but then my friend and I were smiling, and it was like, this was amazing. But I never have told that to anyone just because it's like, that was for me, and that was for him, and that was our experience. That was our mountaintop experience. We almost got trampled by elk. Loved it, man. Um, the thing that's cool about mountaintop experiences, like, like true mountaintop experiences, it's almost like you don't feel obligated to have to tell anyone about it. Um, you don't need to brag about it. You don't need to show off because that was too big to tell anybody. There's this story in the Bible that the same thing happens. There's this mountaintop experience that no one who was there actually talks about. All right, okay, so here it is. The guys who experience this mountaintop experience, their names are Peter, James, and John, right? Um, and the story we're going to be talking about tonight is the story of the transfiguration of Christ. The people who experience the transfiguration of Christ, Peter, James, and John, right? They're the people who see it firsthand. But the people who talk about the transfiguration are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they weren't even there. And they're writing about it. Peter, James, and John say nothing about it in the books that they compose. I love that. So today we're talking about the transfiguration of Christ, which I believe is a central story of the Christian faith. It's pointed to by the Hebrew faith, and it's pointed back to by the Christians all the time as one of these mountaintop experiences of our faith. So if you have your Bibles, please bring them to Luke chapter 9, verse 27. And we are going to have a lot of fun tonight. All right? So here it is. So as a congregation, here we go. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before, the kingdom of, before they see the kingdom of God. This is how it begins, right? Truly I tell you, some of you aren't going to taste death until you see the kingdom of God. You're about to, I mean, like, that's big, right? Like, it's, it's, Jesus is talking to his disciples who he had just said, everything is going to happen. And I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. You know, the son of man. And like, like Pastor Alan just got done talking about this. And then he begins the transition. And he says, but truly I tell you, some of you won't die until you see the kingdom of God. Pretty awesome, right? And th 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 this foreshadows everything that is about to happen. This foreshadows everything about this mountaintop experience that's going to happen. Here's the other thing about mountaintop experiences that are very important that you have to know if you're hearing a sermon on 
mountaintop experiences. Mountaintop experiences happen just because they are mountaintop experiences. So often when you come to church or so often if I give a sermon, I'm trying to find the point, right? So what's the point? What's the point? What is, is showing this for me? How am I going to, you know, is there the application point? Some things in the Bible, it's just about God. It's just about the gospel. It's just about the glory of Jesus. And that's the point. So please don't be picking this part and saying, how's this for me? How's this for me? How's this for me? This is for you to focus on the top of this mountain, okay? So just to say that right now, like there's tons of stuff here, but just focus on God because he does lots of stuff. So, so he, he, he kind of says, he says to his 12 disciples, some of you are not going to die until you see the kingdom of God. That is setting the stage for the thing that is about to happen. And the passage continues on. Here we go. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him and went up to the mountain to pray. All right. I'm going to pause it right here too, because this is important. And so he takes Peter, James, and John to go pray. Peter, James, and John are about to experience something phenomenal, and they are about to go pray. And the thing that happens when they go pray is they fall asleep. So is there another part of the gospel story where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to pray, and they fall asleep. The garden, right? The garden of Gethsemane. He takes Peter, James, and John to this garden before he's, he's crucified, and, and he's taking them to pray, and they fall asleep. It's like these guys are always falling asleep. You know, it's like, what's up? It's happening in here right now. I can see you guys. Okay, so, uh, so, so, so it's like they're going, they're in the garden, and what they see after they get up is they see the full humanity of Jesus. They see him praying. There's blood dripping. They see the soldiers come and take him away, and he doesn't defend himself. They see Jesus's full humanity. The thing that happens here, though, in this, this story of the mountaintop experience, they see just the opposite. Whenever they wake up, they see the full divinity of Christ. It's important to see these parallels. Okay, so the passage then continues on. So as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and, this, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring fulfillment or to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So as the, the disciples are asleep, then Jesus is praying on this mountain and his face changes. His clothes change as bright as lightning. So is there a parallel here to any other parts of the Bible? Of course, we're talking about Sinai, the, the, the Sinai story when, when Moses goes and encounters God and his face changes and his robes shine as bright as lightning. There's, there's something happening here, very profound and deep. And then it says that the prophets Moses and Elijah show up. 
how can you guys just pass over this? Like, this is a really big deal. These two people who have been dead and buried for a really long, long time, here they are. And they're not just dead people. These, these are like the prophets. These are the iconic Hebrew people. One of them is symbolic of the guy who brought, brought the Hebrew people out of slavery. It's symbolic of the guy who got the Ten Commandments in Torah and brought them down and says, this is what God says. He's the guy who bore the law. Like, big deal, right? The Hebrew people see... Moses as law. Furthermore, the other guy, Elijah, like, like people talk about the spirit of Elijah all the time, right? Spirit of Elijah, spirit of Elijah, where's the spirit of Elijah? Spirit of Elijah is God is the only God. God is the only God. You, you know, like forget all them. God's the only God. You know, it's courage and it's bravery and it's going for it. And Elijah was like this prophet of like purity and vision and hope and repent. Remember, remember, remember what happened. Remember where we're going. Remember the kingdom of God is at hand. And then the other prophets who began to talk about the kingdom of God, and there's this idea that when the kingdom of God comes back, so do the prophets of, of God. And there's this idea when the kingdom of God comes back, there'll be fulfillment of the law and the Torah. And there's this idea when the kingdom of God comes back and Christ himself just told his disciples, some of you aren't going to die until you see the kingdom of God firsthand. Do you see what's happening on top of this mountaintop? And so Jesus is praying and his face begins to shine and his clothes begin, you know, to glow like lightning. And Moses and then Elijah show up. And what do they do? They begin to talk. And they talk about his departure, which is about to come to fulfillment in Jerusalem. It doesn't say what they actually said, which I would give an arm, you know? Like, what would Moses and you know, Elijah have to say of any value in this? And I don't know, like, it just blows my mind. And like, I would do anything to be able to, to be up there, like, can I peek in? Can I hear this? Like, there is something really profound and brilliant and good happening here. And they're talking about his departure. Whose departure? Christ's departure, which in the, the, the verses before, he just began to tell his disciples about. They're talking about his departure. His face is shining. His robes are shining. Moses and Elijah are there. The law and the prophets are standing in the fulfillment. And Jesus' face is there on top of this mountain talking about his departure. In Greek, the term departure is exodus. Okay, so, um, so, so, so they're talking about Jesus's exodus that everything has always been pointing to and pointing back to, and there's this reclaiming of the exodus story. It's, there is going to be, there are going to be in this departure, a greater exodus. There is a lot happening here. You all can play in this for a super long time and it'll blow your minds and turn you into crazy people. All the ties of, of the Christian story and the Exodus story, our salvation story, the promises of God, the ups and downs, the roller coasters, and the Exodus story. It's brilliant. Just go 
to Exodus 4.22 and it'll blow your minds. And so, and so this is all happening. This, this whole thing of Jesus, like, you know, they're talking about there is a new Exodus happening. We are talking about a departure. I am going, I'm going to save people to bring them out of slavery. We're go- I mean, like, sick. So at that point, the, con- the, the passage continues on. Here it is. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. That's actually in there. He didn't know what he was saying. Love it. Like the Bible has stuff like that in there that you have to think, thank you, Luke. That was funny. So, so th- through this whole thing that I would do anything to be there, to hear what was the conversation happening. Like, oh my gosh, they were sleeping. They always sleep. Why are they sleeping? And so they are sleeping and they get up and they see Moses and they see see Elijah and they see Jesus. And Peter says, it's good for us to be here. Right? Duh. Right? Jesus, it's good for us to be here. Can I build shelters? Can I build a shelter for Moses? Can I build a shelter for Elijah? Can I build a shelter for you? There's a couple of things. There's a couple of things. There's lots of things about this that, that are fun and challenging and good. One of the things that, that I was thinking about is why is he excited? Who is he excited about? So is he excited that Jesus is here? No, he's with Jesus all the time. He's excited about these iconic prophets who showed up in his sleep. He's excited about Moses. He's excited about Elijah. And he wants to keep them there as long as possible, right? Understandably so. It's like the mountaintop experience. You want to take the picture. You don't want the sun to go down. You don't want to you know, ever have to pick up and go. Let's build shelters here. It is a common theme for us in the church, poetically speaking, to build shelters for Moses and for Elijah and forget all about Jesus. It's a common theme to focus on the law and the things that bind us together that we hold on to and say, I want to celebrate this and keep this as long as possible. There are some of us who focus on on the spirit of Elijah and and the prophetic, and we build a shelter for that. Meanwhile, it's supposed to be all about Jesus. It's his face that is actually shining. It's his departure that they are both talking about. The prophets and the law point to Jesus, this mountain top. The other mountains, Mount Carmel, Mount Sinai, they all point to Mount Hareb. And so it's this idea then in this moment, like Peter, James, and John are freaking out, right? Understandably so. Let's keep them here. Let's keep this going. Oh my gosh, right? And, and then at that point, something phenomenal happens. And here it is. 
While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. So as Peter, in this moment, on the top of this mountain, is experiencing the biggest thing that has ever happened in human history at this point. He's saying, let's keep it going. Let's keep the party alive. Let me build shelters. Let's build an, an altar, a prayer time, whatever you want. Let's keep it going. And it says, as he was still speaking, God showed up. This cloud covered the mountain. So this cloud covers the mountain and they were afraid. They were afraid when this cloud, because they couldn't see anything. And then there was a voice in the clouds, which often happened in the Old Testament. God spoke in the sounds of thunder. And the, I mean, it's just amazing. And this is happening to Peter, James, and John like it did in, in the ancient text. And there was a voice that spoke from the clouds. This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to what he says. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to what he says. Again, if you go to Exodus 4, verse 22, it'll blow your minds at this point. And so, and so there's this idea then that, that, okay, we need to focus on Jesus. Then the cloud disperses and it was only him. Jesus was the only one standing there. He was the only one that was important. He is the Exodus story. He's the only Exodus story. He's on the mountain, the only mountain. And he's the savior, the only savior. Moses was not the savior. Elijah was not the savior. Jesus is simply the savior who's about to save. And the Exodus is about to happen all over again. You see, the Exodus story is central to not only the, the, Hebrew, the Hebrew people, but, but, but all people, because our heartbeats beat the story of of the Exodus. It is a brilliant story where we as people often find ourselves in a place of being owned by someone other than God. We are in places of pain and servitude and bondage to something other than what we want to be in bondage to. And there, there is this truth of the gospel that that has been foreshadowed throughout the whole entire Old Testament, the story of a God who cares so much to send his son into this territory to bring his people into freedom, uh, to bring us into places where we as people rely on God on an everyday basis to show up, to give us our food, to give us our water, to give us our direction. The problem is, is whenever we forget the Exodus story, if you forget the Exodus story, then Christianity just begins something that is very I'm in bondage, I'll continue to be in bondage, but I'll pretend that I am you know, outside of bondage. I believe in Christ, but I will stay here. But the story of Christ, if you believe in Jesus as being the fulfillment of the law and of the prophets, the, the Jesus who on that mountain had a conversation with both of them, and then they vanished. 
It's brilliant. Um, And then they vanish. They're gone. And he's the only one standing. And God says, this is my son. If you believe that, you believe that you are on an epic journey. You're on a journey. It's not a, I'm here. It's your going places. You move. There's this passage through the splitting of water. There's the movement into the desert and the wilderness and the places you doubt and don't believe, then epic faith, and, and God shows up, and what was I ever thinking? And there's a battles that you don't think you could conquer, but you will. And like, that is all a part of the Christian journey that Jesus foretold in the verses before about the kingdom of God. Peter, James, and John, they experienced firsthand the kingdom of God the fulfillment of the prophet and the law, that they experienced firsthand the thing that God was up to. They experienced the transfiguration of who had been just their teacher. They saw his full divinity, and this put them on a trajectory towards the cross. At this point, it seems to me that the faith of Peter and James and John changed drastically, that they could embrace a king who had a crown and a cross at the same time, where before that, they could not. So for me, the story of the transfiguration is fun, and it is brilliant. And furthermore, it is this proclamation of the greatness and testimony of God that he binds all things together, that he fulfills all things. And the greatest story that the Hebrew people could think about, could muster up, could focus on, in the presence of Jesus, it vanishes. That the great forefathers, the great prophets, when you focus on Jesus, they're gone. And what happens when everything else is gone except Jesus? For a bunch of us, there are so many things that we are focusing on that if you focus on Jesus, it would be gone. The thing that's cool about this story is this story ends by saying uh, Peter, James, and John went down the mountain and didn't tell anybody. That was it. Peter, James, and John went down the mountain and didn't tell anybody because that whole show, that whole thing that happened, that was for Peter, James, and John. Like, man, if God, like, man, God, do that for me. You know, like this whole thing, it was for them. And after the fact, they told it and they passed it on and someone else told the story of the transfiguration of Christ. It's brilliant. It's good. It's challenging. There's a lot of things cohesively coming together here that whenever we focus on other things, This huge cloud seems to descend and God focuses us back. This is my son who I have chosen. Pay attention to him. Oh God, we thank you for who you are. 
We thank you for, for, for being a God who brings all things together. We thank you for being a God who tells a brilliant story. Oh God, we thank you um, that, that you are a God who comes down here to teach us. That you bring brilliance to our hearts that you inspire. God, we thank you that you are a God of clarity. God, bring clarity here. God, for those of us who are focusing on everything else but you, show us your face. God, for those of us who have focused on the other things that are apart from you, show us your face. For those of us with anxieties and fear, show us your face. God, for those of us that are asleep and have not heard anything, Meanwhile, there's this brilliant conversation happening. Wake us up. Oh, Lord, catch our ears. Wake us up. Show us your face. Turn our eyes towards you. Make everything else vanish. Bring us up. Oh, Lord. For those of us who have forgotten, teach us to remember. Thank you for this journey that we are on. You are a God who buys us, who provides for us, and you are a God who always keeps your promises. In Christ we pray.